Hi, Heidi. Welcome. Hi. Thank you for being here today. Thanks for having me. For the people listening that are Columbus natives, you probably know Heidi Vanderpool. She has probably put some needles in you. Maybe back in the day, she massaged you, which she did that for a long time, right? Correct. And she's just a wealth of knowledge and wisdom. And I'm so grateful to know you and pick your brain. How are you feeling today? Today, I feel awesome. I got a great night's sleep. Yesterday morning, I got up super early to watch the eclipse. Oh, let's talk about the eclipse. Let's talk about it. Okay, so it actually helped me understand some of the energetics behind eclipses. Eclipses are, from an astrological perspective, are one of the more difficult things to work with. They can be like quick, sudden things are happening in your life or tricky, things are falling away. Not a time to sow seeds and try to manifest stuff. It's a letting go. And you know what's interesting is I distinctly remember the last blood, moon, lunar eclipse. And I distinctly remember what I let go of that I'm going to just keep to myself. And it was something that was extremely hard for me to let go of. And I knew the eclipse was coming. And like that night, I like did a meditation. I went out in the woods and I like did a ritual. And I was able to let go of the thing that I thought I wasn't going to be able to let go of. And I let go of it and didn't pick it back up, which is amazing. Because you know how sometimes we let go of things and we're reaching. You like let go and then you like wink at it. You're You're like, like, I'll be back for you later. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I let go. So I didn't have anything like that this time. Anything like really knocking at the door that I needed to let go of. I also heard from one of my Kundalini teachers, you're not really supposed to go out and gaze at the eclipses and stuff. It kind of like gives you too much of its energy. But I completely ignored that. Because I like to experiment. I was up and I went and drove to somewhere where there wasn't as much light pollution. And I took my dog with me because it was really dark out. I love you so much. (laughs) And I watched it from 5.30. It peaked at 6. I watched it till 6.30. And to me, it had very eerie, spooky energy to it. And I was thinking, wow, our ancestors and kind of like how things develop over time. The astrology is like, yeah, this isn't the greatest astrology. We don't love it when eclipses come. I can see why, because it looked freaking spooky. Imagine a time when you are, your life is guided so much by what's happening astrologically, what's happening in the sky as it governs the light that you have exposure to at night when you're farming or when you're nomadically moving around and then you see that in the sky and you're like um what's going on yeah I was kind of eerie I had a very primal sense about that watching it I was like maybe I should look away maybe I should go home <laughs> I, I kept looking away and it was funny <laughs> because I was like kind of asking myself in the universe like is there something I should let go of and then my dog who was with me who I had off leash and he's black so you can't see him at night ran away from me and I was like oh just kidding universe I'm not letting go of my dog <laughs> yeah that one we're not negotiating yeah, sorry I, yeah I I found He's my a dog hound, right? it was okay yes that dog never runs away from me that's so okay universe stop it wow but it was kind of funny as like maybe I shouldn't be asking for things to let go of right <laughs> what a lovely way to recalibrate then beneath the blanket of stars and the moon. Okay, so I got up, I watched the eclipse till like 6.30, came home, you know, worked in my office all day. And then at night, I like really sunk into my um, my meditation and yoga practice to kind of like 
cleanse some of that energy mm-hmm. and you know just chanted for a while I like I really really went in deep because I was like you like something just needs to snap back like, into place yeah. or something I have two questions one I love that you brought up chanting because I was just talking about this morning with my twin Cassandra about the power of chanting and how there is so much to be said about these words that may have existed for five or more thousand years and they get this charge by millions of people chanting these words but I do believe you are quite in the kundalini realm Mm -hmm. and so chanting is a part of the practice it's huge yeah it is absolutely huge I love that part it's one of my favorite parts (laughs) because it's about the vibration that sound vibration and what it's doing in our brain but even also if you think about what have humans done for thousands of years in our gatherings and our rituals a lot of that is singing and Mm -hmm. chanting and the bonding that we have with each other, even like going to church. I remember when I left church, one of the things I missed was like embodying my voice and embodying that with other people. As modern people that live in an urban area, how often are we fully embodying our voice? Almost never, almost never. So it's like being able to chant and fully embody that vibration has been incredibly nourishing to me, whether I'm alone or I'm with other people. And uh, the meditative aspect of it too, riding a sound current, Mm -hmm. special. Stimulates vagal tone, Mm -hmm. singing, the vibration. I mean, do you karaoke? I'm like a different. I love karaoke so much. That's awesome. It's about letting and releasing and amplifying your voice. I love that. Yeah, there's something so magic about being in a room full of people though and synchronizing tone pitch frequency volume yeah and giving there's this meditative aspect of not having to think about what happens next but just letting the power be in the words and then just letting that embed itself into your spirit yes i love chanting it's a big part of ayurveda as well yes well and that that prayer is acknowledging like our humility in the lineage that we're practicing Mm -hmm. that this is something so much bigger than an individual practitioner this is entire I don't know I don't have the word for it but yeah that deep deep lineage and the wisdom that can come not just through people but also through everything we observe in the natural world everything we experience you know in the cosmos all of that wisdom can come boiling down and that affects how we work with people so many of us might have a particular relationship with prayer if it's within the realm of like a religious context however because it's interesting because ayurveda wears the pants of hinduism so many of the chants and the prayers are rooted in hinduism Mm -hmm. but despite whether or not you practice in the realm of hinduism it's still such a beautiful prayer and i feel that way now about all religions i love looking to christianity i love looking in the quran i love looking so many other religious contexts and subcontexts to see the beauty of prayer because it is faith is what has allowed so many people to persevere out of situations that survival may have felt very bleak and very real in those moments and i feel like i'm coming back around to it now that i'm closing in on my 30s where I'm less F this and religion is horrible and and having all these very inflammatory views on religion. Now I find it to be very beautiful. Yeah, I agree. I've always found it to be very beautiful. (laughs) Yeah, traditional Chinese medicine, the roots of that would be 
Taoism, Buddhism, and Confucianism. Spiritual practice. I love prayer too. Yeah. I mean, I find myself praying over people all the time. And you may or may not know when you come in for acupuncture, but sometimes at the end, I just hold someone's head and that prayer might be, may they be free from suffering. Because there's so much power in the intention that we have, whether those things are said out loud or not. How long have you been practicing acupuncture? Um, I've been practicing for eight years, closing in on a decade. How are you different now as a provider than you were within your first couple years? Wow. I feel like... (laughs) And you can think about it. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because being a provider, it's a practice. Ultimately, I'm showing up in that room and I am practicing. I never have all the answers ever. And you can study this medicine for lifetime. And it's living and it's breathing and it's growing and it's changing with every person every day. And you take your training that you learned, your formal training, and then you take your life experience and you take what you continue to learn. And it shows up in that moment for that patient. And when you're a new provider, you're taking that basic knowledge. Okay, so acupuncture school in the USA is the longest master's program that exists. I did an accelerated program. It's about three years. There's a lot of four or even longer programs. And that's just acupuncture. That's not even herbal medicine. Just sticking needles, (laughs) learning, you know, the foundations. I felt like I graduated from preschool. (laughs) After... All that time, thousands of hours, hundreds of clinical patients. Thousands of hours. Thousands, yes. You're graduating from preschool. You only know the basics. It's preschool. So developing yourself as a provider happens so much after you have that license in your hands. It happens through every single person that you talk to and that you're providing care for. But how have I changed? I feel like the energy that I bring to the room is totally different. I feel like my flow now, I I don't quite have the words. It's like I've grown in so many ways, but a lot of the ways that I have grown is just understanding the nervous system too. Ultimately at the core, are we learning how to balance each other's nervous systems? Am I a strong, stable person that someone can walk in the room and feel I'm holding a container for them to receive that's whatever right. it is that they need to receive that day. they're co-regulating with you absolutely and what we don't talk about a lot is what co-regulation is or the importance of it because many of us learn to co-regulate with our parental figures of which that co-regulation can be so imbalanced so mm-hmm. you're learning to co-regulate with somebody that maybe has high performing anxiety or is in dorsal meaning they have expressions of depression or lethargy or fatigue And when people are coming into your space, you're this container of balance, in theory. Totally. co-regulating with someone who is grounded. So what the hell do you do when you're out of sorts and you're offering energy work? What do you do if you're not feeling in balance and you have 15 clients that week? Or how many people do you see a week? 45. 45. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, Yeah. like you're having an off week. What do you do? So I've practiced having lots and lots of off weeks. And 
I feel like when I walk in that room, it's balancing me also. That is the one thing, because it's a practice, because I know how my system feels when I walk in that room. I'm checking in with myself. And I don't quite know the magic of how that works, but I've always felt I can walk in that room and I get regulated too. And it's weird. You know, my mom almost died about a year and a half ago. I was going through some extreme distress and shaking. Like my nervous system was so flooded with cortisone that I was literally shaking. And I could, I would go in the room and I would be able to, you know, talk to the patient, get needles in them, shut the door, and I would start shaking. <laughs> like that is how deeply my system was in distress. But somehow in that moment, I was able to hold it together, hold everything together. It's almost like you've created the container as not necessarily being rooted in you as a person, Heidi, but Mm -hmm. as the space that you've created because it's almost unsustainable for it to be leveraged entirely off of you Yeah, because you're a human. Right. And so the expectation that you can be balanced is it's, it's non-existent. Correct. We have excess and deficiencies and body and mind constantly. It's the chaos of being and living the human experience. So it's like you created this shala space, like this true grounded, energetic container. Yeah. I think part of it too, over the years, I've refined my schedule more and more and more to what feels good to me as a workload, which took a long time for me to figure that out. And I'm finally in a really, really sweet spot right now where I know I can see 45 people a week with what my nervous system, and I can do that with clarity, (laughs) with focus feeling like I can be 100% present for everybody. I also know that unless I had like an assistant or a staff person, I'm probably not going to be able to kick it up beyond that for where I am in my life right now. Boundaries. Yeah. And one of the easiest way to identify your boundaries is to go past it and not to go far enough and then to set them up. And you've probably done more than 45 people a week. And then you might've gotten the flu and were out for the count or depleted yourself. And now you know that. I have seen 60 people a week. (laughs) I can't imagine. Yeah. What is acupuncture? Well, basic idea with acupuncture is you have these energetic pathways in your body that called meridians, and we're using the acupuncture points that sit along those meridians to affect change in the body. Acupuncture is using a needle to puncture the acupoints. But there's other ways you can stimulate the acupoints, but acupuncture is specifically using the needle to stimulate those points. Like acupressure? Like acupressure. You can use acupressure. You can use sound vibration, like mm. acutonics. I mean, when you get cupping, you're, you're using a cup to stimulate those points. Yeah, there's all sorts of ways that you can stimulate an acupoint. Yeah. Cupping is on the meridians. It doesn't have to be on the meridians, but yes. You're stimulating. Yeah, if you're points. doing cupping on the back, the back has tons and tons of acupuncture <gasps> points all oh up God. and down that. What fascinates you most about acupuncture? Probably that it's, it mirrors our environment, meaning whatever season is happening, whatever weather is happening, whatever emotions, whatever is happening in our life, there are points for everything. Everything. Like it's 
so wild. The more I learn, the more I'm like, there is a point for everything. It's funny because you see those big posters and there's 10,000 points. The script is in three fonts, like size three. And you're like, how the hell is anybody supposed to like learn all of this? Well, I remember, okay, so I started getting acupuncture when I was a massage student. And this is around 2005, 2006, something like that. So there's an acupuncture program in my massage school program. And they always needed bodies to work on. So I was always signing up and getting it all the time. And I was just astounded at the results that I was getting. And I so clearly remember like laying there on the table with needles in me and turning my head to the side and looking at those posters. I'm like, how does anyone understand what that means? It's so bizarre. Oh, all these little points everywhere. Is it a language? You can understand that. Oh, for sure. No doubt. It's really fun getting together with other acupuncturists because then we can like speak that language and it's really sweet. But there's a way to learn the points. In the West, a lot of how we've learned it is through a Western medicine perspective in a way the Western mind can integrate and swallow things. And create testing around and... Right, right, right. Yeah, but there's an entire other like spiritual aspect to it that, you know, you can unearth over time. You have chi. Correct. We have chi, we have blood, we have vital substances. But yeah, the basis is chi, balancing your chi. Through identifying what might be in excess and what might be in deficiency. Yeah, that's that's the very basic identifier is access and deficiency. What is the difference in your experience between offering massage and offering acupuncture? I loved doing massage. Absolutely loved it. I love that hands-on, like I am touching someone for an hour, hour and a half, and it's beautiful, and I learned so much about the body. I don't even know. I've massaged thousands of people, you know, before I even became an acupuncturist. And I truly, truly, truly deeply enjoyed the work. There's something also to, it works well with my personality. I wanted something where I'm in a dark, quiet room all day, like making people feel like a million bucks. Massage was very hard on my body though. And even when I started out, like in my mid twenties, it was already hard on my body and I was creating a lot of inflammation in my hands and continued to get acupuncture the whole time I was doing massage and I eventually was like I can't do massage the rest of my life I'm just gonna be in pain all the time and so learning acupuncture was the next thing I was really discerning between going to some kind of medical school either Western medicine or to be a naturopath or to be an acupuncturist. Due to other life circumstances, I was going to acupuncture and studying acupuncture seemed like the most direct route. And what's interesting is my mom remembers the day that I graduated from massage school. I walked up to her after the ceremony. I looked at her and I said, I really wish I would have studied acupuncture. (laughs) Yeah. It felt prophetic. Yeah. Like I was speaking my own prophecy. What's your dream? With my practice? You can answer that however you want. What's my dream? What's your dream? Oh my gosh, I feel like I have so many. I feel like we should really ask each other that question more often. Yeah. What's your dream? I feel like in a lot of ways I'm living my dream. Created a strong, stable practice where I have full creative freedom. My dream would be that everybody has access 
to this medicine. How we make that happen is a whole nother conversation, probably for like a part two or three. <laughs> yeah, I would love everybody to have access, not just to this medicine, but also there are so many things that we can do to help ourselves that are free and maybe seem obvious that are like right at our fingertips, but because we're incredibly divorced from, let's call it nature, <laughs> a lot of us are not tapping into that and suffering the consequence. Let's talk free practices that you yes, do, that you that love. I that do. you love. I hike several times a week. Why? Because <laughs> the fresh air, being around the trees, Looking up, like gazing practices, where your eyes are going is extremely important and 100% free. You know, my eyesight's going and I'm fully aware it's because of my phone. Yeah. My nearsight is mm -hmm. diminishing so quickly mm -hmm. and I know that I can improve upon it if I were to just gaze at a distance for longer periods of time, really like focus on trees in the distance or try to identify lines or ridges and I do need to do that more. Pretty much everybody if we live in the modern world we need to be looking up and out like horizons speak to humans we love mountaintops we love oceans we love lakes why because we can gaze at the horizon and it balances us out from a psycho-emotional perspective it's giving us a greater perspective of where we are in the world but i'm sure there's some kind of biochemistry in there that also just helps us feel more relaxed helps us feel connected calmer but yes i do find myself having to train to look up and out more mm -hmm. And I don't remember feeling that way even like 10 or 15 years ago. Yeah. So yeah, I wonder about the effects of the phone. I'm taking a class right now, like a Chinese medicine class about some meridians. They're called the eight extraordinary meridians. And without getting into like too much theory type stuff with it, it has a lot to do with our ancestry. Like the ancestry, people that have come before us, what we're experiencing right now and our descendants, like working with that energy. I'm so fascinated by this. Uh -huh. It reminds me of the, the seven wonders of the world. Mm. Like the eight, what did you call them? Extraordinary, extraordinary meridians extraordinary meridians yeah yeah which they're pretty mysterious we only learn a tiny little bit about it in our formal schooling and it's something that do you remember where they are the eight yeah totally totally because we have like 12 main meridians okay. and then we have eight extraordinary meridians where are the eight <laughs> it depends it depends yeah 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 they're running to different places on your body because obviously it's a meridian but do meridians the points move on the meridian? No, no. I but I mean, there's like one across your, like your waistline, your belt. There's one like going up your front, going down your back, really <sighs> long one going your tire back and onto your face. Another one going the other way. Wow. Yeah. Got it. There are eight extraordinary meridians, not mm -hmm. eight extraordinary points. Correct. Got it. Yes. I was thinking of eight points. Oh, okay. On the, and I was yeah. like, I don't understand. But yeah, that totally makes sense. Can we go back to free practices? We really should. Because yeah. we only listed one. Tell me more about free practices that anyone can do. Okay. This is a huge passion of mine. Because like I said, there are so many free things we can do. Another one that is very, 
very hard for most people. Turn the damn phone off. Just turn it off. Turn that thing off and make yourself not look at it. 9 p.m. to 7 a.m. My phone is on do not disturb. So I have to physically go over and know I'm breaking my own rule if I look at it. Which I did last night because you texted me at 901. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm breaking my rule. That's too funny. So that's, that's one thing. Why do you turning your phone off is important for you? Um, for me, those are the hours that I want to go inside myself. I'm not out in the world anymore at 9 p.m., generally speaking. I'm not out in the world before 7 a.m., and those are my times to meditate, to work out, to, you know, be with my kid, to pet my dog, to chant, you know, all those other things. Also, from a circadian like our circadian rhythms are extremely important. These are our rhythms of our day. And if you're looking at a phone, then you're taking in that brightness from your phone. And I don't care if you have it on dark mode, whatever. It's still blaring light into your pineal gland. Your pineal gland is the gland that secretes melatonin. And you will be suppressing your melatonin if you are looking at bright lights. The pineal <laughs> gland is also what governs your thyroid stimulating hormone. Yeah. It is so much of what governs your entire endocrine system. And so if you're someone that experiences an autoimmune deficiency, such as Hashimoto's, really any hyper-inflammatory chronic illness in the body, and you know that you love that like 30 minute scroll or maybe longer at night, try cutting it out. Really. Also with the vision aspect of it, I just, there's a direct correlation between me and I feel like my vision going to crap and looking at my iPhone. Yeah. And so I, I love that. I love that. Yeah. Another major free practice, again, in those hours, roughly 9P to 7A, turn your lights in your home very, very low. If you want to get even more extreme with it, just use red light. Just use a candle. Something like that. You will sleep so much better. Your body will feel better. Everything will feel better if you are going with the rhythms of the sun's up, the sun's down. Think about what our ancestors did. We didn't have electrical lights until very recently in history. So it was fire. Fire was our light, which fire is a very warm, mm -hmm. it's orange, it's red, you know. It doesn't disrupt you as much as the bright lights. So just turn your lights down. Make sure you've already cooked dinner or done whatever things you need to the brighter lights for. Even shower, like showering at night, which can be, you know, really relaxing to the system. Do it by candlelight or do it with no light. Window in your bathroom, there's probably enough city light streaming in that you could do it. I never shower with the light on and I very rarely turn the lights on in my bathroom in general and my partner will always come in and he'll kind of turn on the lights and it feels like a salty on my senses. I don't like the light on and so yeah. many people find that very strange but overhead lights, those fluorescent emitting bulbs, there's just something that it doesn't register well for me and before we had started recording this podcast, Heidi and I were talking a lot about feelings we get when we're in doctor's office or dentist's office. I do think the fluorescent element of it if that was just changed or modified in some way the comfort of so many people would follow that amen as well amen well and I wonder how many people are out there that like okay what do I hear every single day I'm anxious I'm depressed I'm tired and wired I can't sleep how much of that could be remedied simply simply by the quality of light that we have around us 
I would love to talk about the sun. Yeah. Now I know that's not between 9P and 7A. Uh Are you someone that goes to seek direct sunlight? Absolutely. 100%. Absolutely. All the time, as much as I can. I understand. We live in Ohio and I know a lot of people be listening that don't live in Ohio. Ohio is dark, it is dreary, it is gray for six months out of the year. We need sun. And I know that a lot of people aren't going to agree with this statement, but I almost never wear sunscreen anymore too. And I haven't for years. And am I going to get more wrinkles? Yes. But you know what? I don't care. (laughs) There is something to be said about being out in the sun and experiencing its powerful effects. Now, if you're experiencing irritation and you can feel yourself burning, yeah, maybe it's like, all right, we go in the shade or something. Yep. Seeking direct sunlight as early as you can, closest to when you wake up out of a deep slumber, best case scenario for regulating circadian rhythms, for supporting hormonal mechanisms in the body. And you actually really only need like 10 minutes of direct sunlight Mm -hmm. a day to get optimum vitamin D levels. And sometimes, okay, living in Ohio, sometimes that 10 minutes is hard. Like during the winter, but for, with my activities that I do, for example, going hiking, I do that in the winter. I do it religiously in the winter. I actually hike a lot more in the winter than I do in the warmer months. Why? Sunlight. Sunlight and regulation. You're chasing the sunlight, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I noticed with myself, if I go visit other people in my life that live in sunnier places, I'm always like... That's in the shade. You know, I'm like obsessed with getting that sunlight. Like I feel sometimes sun starved by living in such cloudy environment. So I try to remedy that whenever I can. Well, you still receive the benefits even on a cloudy day Mm -hmm. from UV. So it's like, even if it's cloudy, you're still getting it. The sun is very powerful. This is the first year in my entire life, me and my twin sister both experienced this the same year at the same time, that we have enjoyed the sun. Mm. For our whole lives, we were sun averse. I say I'm a recent devotee of the sun (laughs) because now I feel like the sun feels very spiritual to me. The moon always had that element for me, but now... I wonder, there's this George Carlin, who's a very famous comedian, who has this bit about why don't we praise the sun? It comes up every day. It goes down every day. We can count on it. It's the reason so many, it's the reason for life in so many capacities. It's so powerful and special. I didn't ever really sit in the sun, ever. Most of my life, this year, I bathed all day, every day. I worked outside. And the effect that it had on my mood was so significant. It changed my life. Yeah. And I didn't even know that I was missing it. It was so strange. Before I'd be like, the sun, oh man, it's always in my eyes. I always feel hot and sweaty. And I just changed my perspective a bit. And I'm so grateful for it now. So it's a great practice. Yeah. I had a game changing time in my life around that too, because as a teenager, I also was sun averse. Like, and it was it was vanity. It's like, well, I don't want to grow up and get wrinkles. And here I am. I'm in my 40s, and I'm like, I don't Bring care about wrinkles. Let's yeah, go. I yeah. Look weathered. But I was so <laughs> sun averse. And then it was actually when I was in massage school, and I was going through a divorce at the same time. It was like a really intense time in my life. 
And it, my cells like would not allow me to not be in the sun. <laughs> one, like every break I got at school, every single time I was sitting in the sun and one of my classmates even commented like, wow, Heidi, you're sitting in the sun a lot. But it was like, that was so my medicine at that time in my life. It still is really, I love it. Yeah. What's another free practice? What about something that promotes your connection to yourself? Meditation, yeah, for sure. And there's so many ways to meditate. And there are so many, if you don't know where to start, we are in the absolute information age when it comes to that. Do a Google search and find something that works for you because there are many, many ways to do it. And just sitting and being quiet can be really, really, really hard on a mind that could be facing some challenging things. So whether that's chanting, whether that's having some kind of movement with it, that would be yoga or qigong, or even just walking, you know, walking, going into that meditative space, just putting one foot in front of another and just walking can be such a simple and game-changing practice. What is meditation? Oh, that's, huh, put into words. I would say it's like, a quieting of your mind. Do you feel that in an age where so much of our communication is defined within verbal, the verbal context, that we need meditation now more than ever to understand the capacity in which we exist and communicate with others can have reaches so far beyond the verbal context? Hmm. I don't think I've ever thought of it that way. It's like, what if we considered the energy of the person when they walked in the room or the energy of the person when you communicate with them? Yeah. So no doubt. Or the spirit of the person. Yeah. That's one thing that I love about Chinese medicine. I know that Ayurveda teaches this too. Someone shows up to you for a treatment. They are telling you my neck hurts or autoimmune thing or a digestive thing. And you're listening to the words they say, but you're also observing. The Shen, what we call the Shen, it's like your spirit. You're like looking at their spirit. Are their eyes glowing and bright? Is their complexion, is it lustrous? Is it pale? Is it gray? You know, you're looking and you're observing and you're not just listening to the words they say, but how are they saying the words? How are they holding their body? What is the deeper root that you can... Uh, suss out of what's happening that's the work yeah totally that's what we do totally let's say I've never done acupuncture before someone told me to do it because my knee's been bothering me for weeks and Mm -hmm. I just like hopefully acupuncture will help my knee I have a knee injury from basketball so I book an appointment with you what happens after that you book an appointment you'll get a confirmation email read that email Two people not read Fill out the paperwork. <laughs> Most people do. <laughs> Tell me about the paperwork. Um, I keep mine extremely simple. I want to know before you come in the basic thing that is bringing you in. Okay, my knee hurts. Your knee hurts. Okay. Also on my forum is how's your digestion? How's your sleep? How's your menstrual cycle? Do you have any addictive habits that you want help cutting back on? Do you have access to primary care? Why are you asking about my sleep? My knee hurts. Yeah. All of that plays into the picture, deeply plays into the picture for how fast we can heal for if there's underlying things like why does your knee hurt? Do you get up and run 10 miles? 
five times a week. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously, though. Okay, so underlying, is there some deep anxiety or perfectionism? Does your knee hurt because you stumbled out your door because... You know, I love the saying, the issues in the tissue, right? Mm -hmm. And it's so much about the injury, whether we look at it cellularly or physiologically, we can understand so much of how the injury is reflected in our behavior and emotional state. It's like it can be translated. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Last year I had an injury in one knee because what did I do? (laughs) You know, I like went out and hiked hard, fast for like nine miles. I did it fasted and I didn't stay hydrated and I ended up with a knee injury. Duh, right? I mean, <laughs> like, okay, so what's the deep underlying thing? Heidi goes a little too hard and just takes her body too extreme. She already has a bunch of other stress in her life. How about not stress it in this way too? I like to think of the body, mind, and spirit as three different entities, right? So the soul is within the body and the soul and the ego share this container Mm -hmm. and the soul and the ego, they have their own relationship. The soul is the unchanging awareness that is you. It is the connection to all living, breathing things and beyond. It's the universe within you. And then you have the ego, which is the part of you that sits here with me and chats and likes to buy shoes and go to coffee shops. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the ego part of us. It's the human experience. And then you have the body, which is the host for both of these things. Yeah. And so much, I love the idea of mind, body, mind, body, spirit, one word. It is all together. However, they operate on three different planes. Mm -hmm. The physical aspect is what is so tactical for us to understand because we can see it, we can touch it, we can point to where it hurts. And then the next closest thing is the ego because we have emotions which change and arise and come to the surface with different feelings and sensations. And then we have the soul, which is elusive. And we feel most divorced from the soul from what I believe, of all those three things. And so I'd love to learn and hear about how when you have someone on your table, it's not just working with the knee pain. No. Are you, are you no. feeling into their energetic body? Do you see and sense their soul? How is that? I would say, okay, so we have a philosophy of like roots and branches for how we treat Basically, okay, so the branch would be the knee injury. The root would be the deeper whatever it is. So generally we work, let's work on the branch first. And let's help this person decrease the knee pain, heal whatever that is, and then move into working on the root stuff so we can get people out of their suffering first and then hopefully uncover another layer. But circling back to like, mind, body, spirit there. Yes. I would say the, so we're so in our mind generally in our culture, generally, generally speaking, but sometimes you run across people that are really, really in spirit and they are not connected to their body and they need to ground. They need to root. They need somatic practices to feel into their soma. Occasionally I have some people show up at my door that they're like, my back hurts. And then I try to dig a little deeper, like, what part of your back? 
I don't know. When did it start? I don't know. What makes it feel better? I don't know. And to me, it's like, oh. I would love to talk about these three different types of people Mm -hmm. and something to consider for all three different types of people. So let's, starting with this person that's heavily Soma. So the person that notices every Mm. imbalance and is like, okay, Heidi, my knee hurts, but also my sacrum hurts and my left index finger clicks. And I feel like I have inflammation in my jaw. And I just feel like my body is constantly inflamed and there's always something wrong. What is some wisdom that you would impart on this individual who's highly in tune with their physical body, majorly over the other two? To me, that is saying a hypersensitivity in the system. So if we work with that to calm down that like overactive response and then help whatever the root is from there, I'll leave it at that. I feel like too, there's an underlying belief of fear and the body is not rudimentary. Although in so many aspects, we like almost believe that it's rudimentary because we take out many organs like that. And and sometimes we're quick to overrun systems or mechanisms in the body, which have been existing existing and coming out of an evolutionary history for millennia. But what does it mean to have trust and faith that the body's able to maneuver itself out of injury and into healing? Yeah, that is deeply our conditioning, which can come from so many places, which is the basis of what we learn as acupuncturists and trusting the acupuncture is trust that the body wants homeostasis. Everything wants homeostasis. We're always seeking it. And one thing I learned in yoga years and years ago, with balance, there is movement. There's always some kind of micro movement, micro whatever. We're not in homeostasis all the time, but like the easier we make it to be in homeostasis, the more we're going to crave it, the more we're going to want it, the easier it's going to be to stay in it. You can exist in a place of balance. You're always slightly undulating above and below it, but the peaks aren't so high and the bases aren't so, or the troughs aren't so low. And you're just kind of like surfing the wave of balance. Yeah. The somatic people call that your zone of tolerance. Zone of tolerance. Yeah. And when you go out of your zone of tolerance, that's when the, the shit hits the, the shit. Fan. Yeah. <laughs> that's when shit gets and wild. we all know that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we all know it. We all experience it. What about the person that comes to you and is like, I can't stop thinking. All I do is think I obsess. It's debilitating me. My mm-hmm. intrusive thoughts are starting to affect my quality of life. Mm-hmm. Probably the most common person that walks okay. in the door. That I was would one of say. my questions. It's like who? Yeah. Okay, so it's a highly is it high functioning anxiety type of individual? Very much, very much. I see this constantly. I'm sure we can all relate to that. Constantly, yeah, yeah. And sometimes it can be hard to come in and sit with the needles, and sometimes it can be the greatest relief to come sit with the needles. Nobody needs me. I'm just here to receive. It's my 45 minutes or an hour to like not have to function in the world. Heidi's just going to take care of me <laughs> and that's it. And that can be very anxiety provoking or mm. true medicine, depending upon who you are. But a lot of that is from an acupuncture perspective. Like I'm doing points that are 
that are really grounding. I'm usually doing a treatment that is 100% balanced on both sides of the body. I've got these weighted rice bags too that I'm using on most people these days. It goes right down the torso, like pubis up to your collarbone. Why do you use that? It feels good. It helps you ground. But I also have them for the eyes now too. I'm going to put them over their eyes. I've got little silk scarves that if people need another cover over them the scarves will sit over top the needles and you get that cozy feeling and sometimes our chi just needs covered and it needs cozy a silk scarf over the needles yes why do you think so many individuals are experiencing such severe levels of anxiety i think we're overworked overstimulated we're over everything do you feel like we're in a era of excess or an era of deficiency both big time deficient in what and excess and what i would say excess and stimulation we are excessive in entertainment stimulation our gaze our gaze is a great perspective taking too many things into stimulating our gaze we are deficient in that nice relaxing gaze we are we're deficient in sleep in so many ways we're deficient in nutrients we're deficient in laughter in sex in connection and relationship in dancing ritual in these very basic things that make us human very very basic and the thing is most people are overworked and overstretched to the point that even if there is an option let's go sing and dance or whatever they don't have the energy to do it and that sucks that really really sucks but that's like a greater global thing that most of us are experiencing to some degree to some degree and we're seeking these aspects but what's hard is so in so many ways they're available out of balance and coupled with vices yeah totally. so it's like we're getting wasted to go karaoke totally and dance totally okay so I was out with a friend the other night and we went to a show it was 9 p.m ish and we weren't really feeling it so we left and we were walking around and we're like oh man i want to like go dancing but we're like oh it's only 9 p.m nowhere's gonna get bumping for a few more hours well after my bedtime and this person kind of parties a lot (laughs) i don't (laughs) but even he was like Man, I wish places got bumping at nine. I know. You know, let's get places bumping at nine so we can like be with our circadian rhythm. I literally go to a dance class at 9.30 in the morning, (laughs) but because of the lights, it looks like it's like at 11 p.m. at night and it's hilarious. (laughs) And it reminded me when you had mentioned that when you were going through that healing journey with your mother Mm -hmm. uh, last year, was that last year or two years ago? Yeah, it was 2021. Yeah, a year and a half ago. Yeah, you're not good. <laughs> when you're going through that time with your mom and you would put the needles in and you would step outside and then you would shake, mm-hmm. it's the same mechanism of the body that produces those shakes as a part of you that wants to dance because the sympathetic expression in the body from the nervous system is completed through movement. Yes. Erratic movement. Amen. So whether your body's like, all right, you're not moving. We're going to do it for you. So we're going to send a few tremors through the body. Similar when you see a shaking dog or babies or kids will oftentimes do this, or you can induce that movement in a space of joy and safety through dance. 
Better yet, you're karaokeing and you're dancing and singing if yes. you karaoke with me. It's like a full performance. <laughs> <laughs> or even church when there's the choirs on the stage and there's movement. It's like, what a healing way. Even talking about it feels like solace to me. However, so many of us are fearful of the performance aspect of it. And it's so sad. Mm-hmm. And one of my favorite books women who run with wolves, which, you know, the way that she explains how to express through the sensuality of being a woman is to be raw and unfiltered. And she uses the word ugly. Even Mm. it's not this glamor. It's beauty. It's not to be perfect. I love that. It's to be unfiltered. Which is so hard to do out in the world. That's so freaking performative, especially now with our phone. Is someone going to be filming me dancing like a wild woman in the rain and put it on the internet and everyone's gonna laugh at me it's stupid I hate that you know yeah and you've raised a child so you Mm -hmm. have that joy of watching your child be free to Mm -hmm. breathe free in their body dance play I haven't had that luxury but I look forward to seeing that one day hopefully yeah we need to learn from the kiddos in the world totally old people too and old people who don't give a fuck. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's beautiful. Yeah, that's one of the beautiful things about getting older. Do you perform acupuncture on children? It depends. I have some teenagers that come in. The youngest I've done is like a seven-year-old. What was that like? Great. As long as they can sit with the needles. I usually ask that a parent stay. Well, always ask that a parent stay in the room. But I started doing it on my son, too, when he was seven. Tell me. I was, I was still in school at this time and he was interested and I would do it. Like he used to get migraines and I would do acupuncture on him. He didn't love it, but he tolerated it. And there was one day we went to his pediatrician and he told his pediatrician, I used to give migraines and now my mom does acupuncture on me and I don't get them anymore. (laughs) And the pediatrician who's super open-minded, dude, he's awesome. He's like, wow, that's so great. My wife gets acupuncture for her migraines and it really helps her. And they got to nerd out on it a little bit. It was wonderful. I love that. Yeah, the pediatrician was like, I wish everybody could get acupuncture. I want to get acupuncture in the hospitals. (laughs) It's coming. It's coming. How do you speak about wellness or show wellness to the people in your life that maybe really want nothing to do with it? They don't want anything to do with yoga. They don't want anything to do with gardening. They don't want anything to do with acupuncture. But there's still people that mean so much to you. Hmm. Hmm. I don't know. Probably just being my bubbly, loving self. I feel like you're less of someone who... You're a very nonviolent communicator. Thank you. Yeah. And that was uh, one of the highest compliments to give. That's someone who is very intentional about the words they use. They may not use words like shouldn't, Mm. can't, won't. Why do you do this? Or didn't you say it's the imposition behind the language, which will usually elicit particularly a negative emotion from somebody else or put boundaries on how they can express themselves after a statement of imposition. Yeah. And so you likely aren't the person that's telling people how to be well. I want to all the time. Me too, girl. (laughs) 
I feel like it is, it is such a practice with my mind when I'm in a social situation and someone's talking about something. That's also my, I have a stellium in Virgo, so I'm very detail oriented. I can look at a situation and be like, there's the sickness, there's the answer. Just like, that is how my brain works. And it has been such a practice to like, one of the hardest, Heidi, keep your damn mouth shut. And some people don't, don't want to change. They don't want help. And, and that's okay. And that's okay. And I've definitely alienated people from my life before being like, well, if you just do A, B, and C, you know, this will probably be better, you know? And now I, I, I try to make it a practice. I'll ask, Hey, do you, do you want some feedback about this or like some suggestions? Cause I might know some things that help, but I'm not perfect about this all the time. Cause I definitely like, I love results <laughs> and there's so many simple things like I was talking about that can just radically change your experience of being a human in this world that are so simple and so easy. And a lot of people don't do them. What's the hardest aspect of being a healer for you? Probably one of them is feeling like I, I just want to do more, but that I, I really have to have amazing boundaries with myself around my work. And I've said that since day one of doing acupuncture, like I could literally be working 24 hours a day because of the desire you have in your heart to provide because I have a desire to provide, but there's also so much need. I get asked constantly, constantly like, um, will you do this? Will you do that? Will you be at my event? Will you split space with us? Oh, just one day a week. I don't have one day a week. I don't. I have to have extremely good boundaries around my work and teaching Kundalini was another thing like that too. I mean, I have people that ask me like all the time, like when you going to teach, when you, can you come teach? <laughs> and I have to say no to a lot more than I ever expected. I would have to say no to, but I've had some pretty severe lessons in my life around burnout and overworking and the results that that has on my body. So I would say having good boundaries is, has been one of my hardest lessons as a healer. As someone who many of us identify as one of the more successful wellness healers in our community, how do you feel that you've developed a healthy relationship around money for your services, for your commitment? This is always in process for me. <laughs> I feel like money is really important to my nervous system to actually be able to have some kind of longevity in this profession. That being said, it's also really important to me to create access. I'm not going to be able to create access for everybody. There's no way. And I had to come to peace with that. I also believe that having money in the hands of the people that are doing the really good, beautiful things in the world is really important. And so if I have excess money in my hands, I know what I'm doing with it. And it's really important to me to support other people doing good work in the world. So I almost consider it a tithe for myself. I support other organizations financially that are doing work that I believe in. So there is something in the wellness community about like a lot of fear around money or I don't know, I guess I see both, both fear around money, but also like monotonizing literally everything. And so there's some kind of balance in there that I feel like I found it for myself, but as a, as a society, we haven't even come close to finding it. If there's a piece of wisdom you could bestow upon practitioners 
that are starting their health coaching business or starting their acupuncture practice or becoming MDs in their desire to be financially free yeah. in this world of wellness, what would you say? You need to learn about money. And that means reading books, listening to podcasts, studying with teachers, looking at numbers and also investing in yourself. Another thing, a lot of providers that work outside of the regular medical system, we're talking massage therapists, therapist, therapists, acupuncturists, you're working for yourself. So you don't have those like sweet benefits that people in the corporate world. So it's like, how are, how are you going to set yourself up for the future? Are you going to set yourself up to retire? You have to learn these things on your own and learn it on your own. <laughs> like it's totally possible. We're in the information age and there is endless resources out there. So go and find it and don't be scared of it. Tell me about your work in community acupuncture, mm -hmm. because I feel like this is deep in your love for giving back. It's ingrained within accessibility. Can you talk a little bit about it? I can't. I've only done a small amount of community acupuncture, but it's kind of like when I graduated from school, I started um, reading more books about community acupuncture and talking to people and going to conferences. It was all community acupuncturists. And it really spoke to my, my social justice roots that I've grown up in for myself about accessibility. And so the idea with community acupuncture is that you have a space where you have several chairs and people are getting it together, which makes it so that me as a provider would be making more money per hour and I would be providing treatment to people. I have done it in a variety of different settings and it's like in a lot of places where my heart lies because I just so believe in accessibility. For me, my path has taken a little bit different route because I do have private rooms right now, but I still work on a sliding scale. There is something about the group energy that some people really, really love. You know, you can bring in your mom, your friend, your grandma, whatever, and you get to sit there. And I think that there's a decrease of the fear when you can be with other people. And, you know, that communal environment is beautiful. Like being together silently healing is beautiful. And you're co-regulating. So and you're, if yes. you've never had an opportunity to co-regulate with your mom and your sister, and then you're intentionally coming to a space where that is the foundation, you can heal aspects of your relationship that maybe words won't do justice for. Yeah. That's why, I mean, I love therapy. Mm -hmm. Proponent, number one, big fan. <laughs> However, it can't begin and end with the spoken word. There's no way. There's no way. We're too There's complicated. No well, not and complicated, not in the way like, oh, darn, we're too complicated. More like we are exquisitely complicated. We are exquisitely complicated. And that's that. Acupuncture is one of the few body-based theories that has a lot of research behind it as being a modality that helps to integrate traumatic experiences. And there are five points on the ear. It's called the NADA protocol. And many people are trying to work to get this protocol in the hands of nurses and other medical providers. But circling back to that idea of like healing in community and healing things that can't be healed with words. 
I want to tell two stories right now. I had a woman that was in to me recently. She was in a car accident. She had a lot of PTSD before the car accident even happened. She's came and seen me probably eight times or so. And the other day she looked in my eyes and she said, thank you so much for doing this work. She said, I used to go to my therapist. I've been going to my therapist for years and years and years, and I wouldn't be able to open my mouth and talk about what happened. She said, since I've been coming to acupuncture, I can open my mouth and I can talk about what happened. So that's telling me it is opening her to receiving other <laughs> therapeutic models. So she can actually get the therapy, you know, so she can actually get the therapy with her therapist, get the therapy from me. And she says she's sleeping at night which helps everything. It has something, it, it really deeply has something that it does with the nervous system in terms of taking your life experiences and mulching them <laughs> into something that you can use. The second story I wanna tell is there is a county here in central Ohio that had me come work with their first responders. And what that looked like is they opened up the books to every first responder. This is, Police, this is firefighters, this is dispatchers, this is people working in infectious disease. Anybody that's a first responder, my services were available to them. We had a location where they would sign up for a five minute time slot and I had a community space. So every five minutes, someone was coming in new. I did those five points on their ear and they would rest with the needles about 30 minutes, pull them out, and I cannot tell you how beautiful it was, first of all, for me to witness. For me, almost everybody that came in had never had acupuncture before a day in their life, and the feedback that we got was tremendous. And I just saw someone a few days ago that I met in that cohort, and she said, people still talk about it. And there is something so beautiful also and it was also really challenging for me like having someone come in in full police uniform like there's a gun in my acupuncture room <laughs> <laughs> yeah. which isn't the first time that's happened wow. but there was a gun in my acupuncture room and I'm like you know what we're gonna work through it I'm holding space yeah for these we're people. gonna create a safe space for you yes this might prevent someone getting shot today mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. wow it is so cool it is so cool when I see people like working through their traumatic experiences and coming out the other side and there's some kind of mulching, there's some kind of grounding, there's some kind of integration that's happened. Do you feel like acupuncture is a grounding experience, a euphoric experience? Are we hitting multiple elements? I would say it's both. It can, it can be so many things. You can come in one week and you're having a very grounding experience. You can come in the next week and you're floating off the table. Or you can come in, you're ha having a trippy. I hear that a lot. People will be like, I was seeing colors. <laughs> so we just simply trust that the chi and the life force energy that is working is giving you what you need. I've definitely had that colors and feel like I'm floating off the table before. Yeah. On your table, actually. On my table. My twin sister today, she said, at a time in my life, I was so resistant to acupuncture and you booked me an appointment. I don't remember doing this. I do. Life. I don't remember doing that. And she said, you know, you're always booking me these appointments for things and I wasn't in a place in my life where I was ready to receive it. And now Cassandra's like the wellness 
little queen yeah. popping from Jesse for cranial sacral to acupuncture to yoga three times a day. And it's so interesting to have an experience and feel so tremendous afterwards. You get that high afterwards mm -hmm. and you're like, I need my mom, my dad, my aunt, my best friend, my boyfriend, my girlfriend to experience this. And you like want to book it for everybody. Yeah. And you like can't help yourself. Yeah. I did the same thing at a cranial sacral. Yeah. I did the same thing at a Thai yoga massage. Mm -hmm. I like, I'm like on, I feel like on cloud nine and I just want everybody to experience the magical healing from being in tune with your own body. It's amazing to feel good. There is something so freaking profound because, about feeling good. Because we are led to believe that feeling good is something that needs to be earned instead of something that is our innate state. Or even something to push away. Yeah. If you grew yeah. up, you know, very religious, very... Sex. Yeah. Sex. Push it away. You're like, even you're pleasuring not, yourself. Yeah. Hello. Push it away. You're not supposed to feel good. It's like, okay, this is a full on retraining that we need. It is profound to feel good. Profound. You will be a better partner, mother, employee. I mean, like you name it. If you feel good, the grease of the wheels of your life are going. You're going to be able to put creative energy out in the world. You're going to be able to like write that song, dance that dance. I, <laughs> it is profound to feel good. How much of you is doing the healing and how much of you is a channel? Oh, I know. I think I'm picking up what you're putting down and I have no idea. <laughs> how much of you is actually doing the healing versus how much of you is redirecting people back into healing themselves? I don't know. I don't know. It's the mystery of it. It's the mystery of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't look at myself and say, oh, I'm a healer. But I mean, I, <laughs> I definitely look at myself and say, I am a co-regulator. And then whatever happens in that co-regulation, be it like the chi of the heaven coming through, the acupuncture needles, I don't know. That is part of the alchemy of it. My, yeah, I guess I think of myself a little bit more as a conduit, you know, nervous system regulation and then conduit, work with the systems that I know. Yeah, tap in, tune it. in, and just support the individual in front of you. I also feel weird about the word healer sometimes mm -hmm. because, and this is similarly how I feel uncomfortable about the dynamics in our modern medical model. Yes. And that when we use words like healer, there's a power dynamic at play mm -hmm. where it gives the notion that you are at a different... Can I interject? Please. I think being a healer... Okay, then it's almost like someone's coming to me like I'm Jesus or something. I need healing. And you hold the key to it. And it's like, I just don't conceptualize it like that at all. The healing is within us. Of course, we all play a healing role in each other's lives. I don't know. For me, I'm, I'm, I'm working with a system. I'm working with the system of the acupuncture points and the meridians, and I'm working with the alchemy of that. But it's your body is, you have innate wisdom within you. How do we tweak things? <laughs> you know, how do we make incremental changes that are huge changes in the long run? It's so interesting that we're so willing to praise the healer, praise the leader, the political leader, the social leader, 
in these different avenues in our life. But we forget that the mechanisms of the body have uh, been through an evolutionary process of millennia. And what even precedes that is the intellect and the mechanism of the breath, Mm. which if offered the opportunity can be the greatest teacher there ever was. Yeah. Well, that's what chi is. The Chinese language is made up of these characters that are called radicals. And the radical for chi is a combination of breath and rice. Breath, the air we breathe, and the food that we eat, there's our chi, right? It's like we're not going to have chi without the breath. Like your, your chi, your body will disperse. When you are born, that's your chi coming together. When you die, that is your chi dispersing and in between there is what it is breath and nourishment from the earth wow a pranayama practice probably goes pretty darn well with an acupuncture experience a breath practice well yeah and it's it's kind of like two different systems so part of learning traditional chinese medicine the different aspects of it it's like we're also learning qigong and tai chi and these other things so like pranayama is more like yogic thing and then qigong would be within the lineage of chinese medicine qigong is the movement practice for breath in the body for chi in the for body chi. yeah yeah got totally. it prana is the the element within the yogic tradition yeah chi is similarly expressed as the movement of breath and life force yeah and tcm in chinese medicine yeah what's next for you in your life that is a Great question. I'm in a really sweet spot in my life right now where I'm enjoying a lot of spaciousness and peace. And my son just turned 18. I'm recognizing I actually have free time, so-called free time for the first time in like years and years and years. So right now I'm in a place of sitting and enjoying some peace (laughs) and spaciousness. So I'm not in a process of what's next right now how appropriate is that as we are closing in on winter yes the seeds are to be sown in spring Mm -hmm. the time for reflection for inward reflection for resting is now yeah yeah it is but I also can foresee at some point I would like to go back for either my herbalism certification or my doctorate of acupuncture I've wanted to do that for years, and I keep having life circumstances crop up. So barring no life circumstances cropping up, I'm going to go do one of those probably within the next two years or so. And I'm also deeply considering taking a sabbatical so I can do a pilgrimage. Two? I'm thinking about, in Europe, a very long walk. I love this. month. Sign me up. I know, right? Mm-hmm. So those are the things I'm discerning for myself right now. I find it really hard to make concrete plans mm-hmm. since the last few years. I'm like, barring any like global or personal catastrophes, these are the things that yeah. I would like to do. Yeah. <laughs> va- I've always wanted to do a very long walk. Me too. Like walk and just keep walking. Yes, me too. And I do that in many ways, but I would like to do that in a big way. What draws you towards that? 
I think that it's just part of my spiritual path, literally putting one foot in front of another. I love walking. It's one of the most therapeutic things that we can do that's free. <laughs> and just allowing myself spaciousness from the pressures of modern life. What is one thing that you are doing in your life currently to honor your body? I do so many things to honor my body. You're like, one, <laughs> bitch, one, please. One. <laughs> um, one thing that I do a lot and that I've done for many years is self-massage. I knew, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I know, because you know me. Do you self-massage with oil? I do. I do. Well, I oftentimes do. But I recently took... And continuing to take a class on self-lymphatic massage. And that's actually done without oil. In I want to know why. In my roots, it's oil. Because I love oil. oil. That's my vata. I love oil. You, your vata needs the oil. Yeah. Why is it done without oil? Why? Because the of... Friction? Yes. Yes. Yeah. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. What is one thing you are doing right now to honor your mind, your ego? That's such a good I one. I love taking classes. I was just taking a class before I came here this morning on the eight extras, eight extraordinary meridians. You're like literally feeding your brain. I love it. I love it. It nourishes me on so many levels. You're an information seeker, yes? I'm a Gemini. Oh, girl. I am the ultimate. I Tell me all the things. I Give me Geminis. the information. Let me. Geminis are such little whiz kids. Yes. What is one thing you are doing to honor your spirit in mm. your life? Breath and chanting every day. Did we miss anything? We probably missed hundreds of things. I, I could do this all day I long. I could do this <laughs> for a very long time. Yeah. Thank you for sitting and talking with me. Thank you for having me. You're one of those people in my life that I feel genuinely holds such sacred space for the people that you're with. And you have this natural ability to allow others to be themselves. So certain expressions that feel natural and organic to them, they just rise to the surface without feeling that we have to perform around you. And I've always mm. felt this way about you. I think you're one in a billion. Just really grateful to know, to know you as a friend and as somebody who's also trying to support and heal the people in the world around them. That's a high compliment. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you.